watch things about things and not just listen to things about things. So you can go to YouTube and find us on YouTube and go to thingsaboutthings.com. Like, just hook a brother up. You know what I'm saying? Like, hook a brother up. Subscribe. That's it. Just to hook a brother up. Trying on for size, an intro. Yeah, uh, it's not my normal style to do an intro while we're talking because we get yeah. so we we it's were just already natural. In it. We I were, know we twenty minutes it. or fifteen minutes of something yeah. good. But uh, yeah, so this is things about things, and it's really good. It is. Yeah, that's it's a good intro. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, yeah, and uh, this this episode sponsored by MeUndies. That's right. Uh, not really. Although one day that would be sweet if That'd it was. Meandies and Bombas. So, so Meandies, if you're watching, and I know several of you are, uh, this is the first first one's free. This episode sponsored by Meandies. They're awesome. I'll tell you a real story and be a, you know, a, I'll advertise them for free, and then give me a call if you guys want to pick up the podcast. <laughs> uh, I got them for Christmas from Kimberly a few years ago. They're amazing. Yeah. Soft. Uh, you know how like the cheap underwear from like Walmart or, mm-hmm. or Target or whatever, it's comfortable or fine or whatever, but that it sort of like falls apart, holds mm-hmm. easier yes. and mm-hmm. and also kind of becomes saggy. Boxer briefs. My mm-hmm. boxer briefs become like they kind of quit a little mm-hmm. bit. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do know. Meundies never yeah. quit. Hashtag MeUndies don't quit. Meundies don't quit. <laughs> I like yeah. it. And then uh Persevere. Yeah, so Meandries are the best, and then I've gotten a couple other pairs since then, including this Christmas again. All right. So that's the this episode sponsored by Meandries for free this time, only this time, only this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and oh, speaking of talking about advertising or marketing something, mm-hmm. March twenty fourth, March twenty fourth, downtown Boone. I'm trying stand up comedy in da- in the town I live in. I've been scary, doing it out scary, of, uh, going to open mics out mm, of town and doing stuff, but this is at Wildwood Community Market. Nice. Friday, March 24th, 9 p.m. Ticketed. Like I'm trying to, you know. Yeah. So yeah. if it's five bucks, right? So if you if you're the, you can go to thingsaboutthings.com slash comedy. Thingsaboutthings.com slash comedy. If you can't pay five bucks to go to a comedy show, email me at Jason at thingsaboutthings.com. I'll I got your back. You you don't have to pay. You can pay. <laughs> there's also at Wildwood, even though they'll be closing and then our, the event will happen, they're still going to have food, uh, at, oh, least, nice. at least snack kind of yeah, food, yeah, and yeah. then beverages for sale, including beer, kombucha, the sparkly water stuff. The uh, They've got the, the Delta 8. they got the Delta the sparkle. Yeah, yeah that's, so, that's some good stuff. Yeah, so, you know, you can go in this really cool downtown establishment, and I'm going to try a combination of comedic storytelling – a very specifically curated music playlist that to try to get us to just like have fun and, you know, groove a little bit and wiggle around a little bit and then, uh, occasional serious stuff. And so I'm going to dabble in occasional deep thought. If you need me to, to 
hop on the guitar at the end for an altar call. Yeah. Can, uh, uh, oh, man, that would be nuts. <laughs> and that be nuts? People would be like, whoa, what, talk about bait happened? and switch. <laughs> mm. But it's, it's uh, one of the first times that I'm going to say publicly spiritual stuff that is just ideas that I've had yeah. that aren't necessarily a pastoral Christian mm-hmm. perspective, although I still think that they still feel like sure. the true thread that I've felt, but different language. Mm-hmm. And uh, so but just for a couple of minutes instead so, of a 45-minute sermon. <laughs> so that's March... Friday, March 24th. Friday, okay. Awesome. Yeah, limited Sweet. tickets. Not just saying that because it seems cool to say it's, it's a, a small, small place. It is a small spot. Yeah, so that's great though. I love Wildwood Community Market. It's yeah, fantastic. They have a, a sandwich there called the Chick Fil A, mm-hmm. which is like I've a, had it. Yeah, it's like is it tofu chicken yeah. or something? It's so good. Oh man, I don't know. I kind of just want to pick your brain about video stuff because yeah. I. I think I've told you that I did broadcast journalism in college. You did tell me that, yes. But this is in the 90s and yes. 99 and mm-hmm. I, around 2000. I think 2000 was when the digital age was born, if not literally, I mean, yeah. symbolically. I mean, symbolically, the digital age. I feel like where the industry, what really shook the industry was probably a little bit later in terms of um, well, I don't know. Maybe it was around that same time because, you know, prior to the early 2000s, if you wanted to get in that world, if you wanted to break into, you know, video production and mm-hmm. all of that, it was a very, very expensive endeavor. You know, yeah. Every, were, every piece of equipment that only did yeah. one thing. Yeah. I remember I learned how to, uh, well, I guess we'll talk about videography, but in Mm -hmm. my mind, maybe editing also, even though I know they're not the same skill. I think in modern times, a lot of times, if someone's going to try to give something a go professionally, Mm -hmm. and if they're not hired by a huge firm that has all the different roles, they Mm -hmm. probably need to know how to edit, not just video. Yeah, well, yeah, and editing, that's, that's, there are so many facets to it because, you know, editing isn't just, you know, Putting piecing together a story um, with with the the clips that you record, but it's also um, telling that story using uh, tools like color grading and mm. um, you know so like color grading for example. I think one of the first films that I I remember um, really utilizing it. Uh, I'm sure there were films before this, but yeah, the one that hit you, the one that hit you. me that, that, that really stood out was the matrix. So that, and that came out 99. 99. Yeah. That was, that, that like had a mood to it. That was one of the first times. And maybe it was because it, looking at it, what rewatching it now, it, it feels a little bit heavy handed. <laughs> and so, but that's Excuse. the classic story of like, but within the context of right. what the world felt like then, yeah, it didn't yeah, feel you, like you're you saying. Would, but I remember at the time I couldn't put my finger on it because I didn't know. Different? Yeah, I, I didn't know what color grading was in you know my senior year in high school. Um, but I just I remember watching it, feeling like, man, this this I'm inside it's, of it's, a world right it's, now. It, it's different, you know, like it 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 it's, pulled it's, a, an it's emotion green. out of me. Yeah. You know, but I didn't know, like, I mean, yeah, I probably would have said, yeah, it kind of feels green. But at the same time, 
I didn't know what color balance was. I didn't have language for any of that kind of stuff. I just most thought that they ha- there were a lot of green things in the movie. Right, And that's right. not the same thing you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's not the same thing, no. <laughs> right. And so, and at the time, too, the software, I'm assuming, I don't know if it was software. I'm ass- I guess it would have been some sort of means of, of altering the footage. But um, that, the, the tools to create that effect were really expensive then. I remember when, so so how I got into video production was a, kind of accidental, occidental. Um, and uh, it was, uh, I worked for Apple. Um, a gen- you, were you a genius? I was not a genius. I was a creative, which I don't know if they're still called that. So the creatives and the genius team, we were kind of similar in the in terms of like we weren't, necessarily salespeople, right? right? So uh I I taught workshops. And so and, and I got certified in all the pro apps, which I don't know I don't I don't even know if they still do that. It's been um, a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute. So this was like early two <laughs> thousands. Um it was like it was a super cool job to get. Um mm-hmm. And so you, I was. They sent they sent me out to Cupertino, California, for a couple of weeks, and I got all my training. It was really really cool. So I learned, you know, Final Cut, uh, Shake, which has been discontinued, but heard you it. know, it was it was like a compositing tool. It was like a really really fascinating tool used in. I think Transformers was one of the first films that it was like featured yeah. in. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but and in my mind, I thought, oh man, they did all the 3D work in Shake, and it's like, no, 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 they did the compositing work in Shake, which is basically putting putting things that were made in a computer and things that were filmed on a camera, oh. and then putting them together and making it look believable that they were that, not that they were coexisting together in the yeah. same shot. That's compositing. And that's so, that's that sounds so complicated because I mean, with the naked yeah. eye, you go film or or real. Yeah, know, good yeah. Video versus not, and you're versus like CGI, a, right? And you're like, yeah, versus CGI. Sorry, I forgot to say that part. Yeah, no, but no, like, it's okay. And you're and you're like that can't coexist. So, so, and that's the job of compositing is to be able to take those two worlds and put them together in a way that makes sense and is believable, right? And so I was you learning know it a lot when it's of wrong those. when you see it and it's wrong, you know, right, it. right. And it's funny because you you go back and you watch a lot of movies that at the time felt and looked so real and then you go back and watch them now and you're like ooh, man you can start you really start seeing the creases and the right but but yeah same thing based on the context when they did it they were doing something amazing oh yeah it was revolutionary what are some of those like what comes to mind first one the one i was thinking of as i was saying that was lord of the rings yeah right yeah yeah so and, and in particular um so what i love about lord of the rings uh the Peter Jackson trilogy is they used, it was pretty much all practical effects. You know, they weren't really doing a whole lot of CG work, uh, you know, especially with the orcs and whatnot. Unlike in the Hobbit, you know, the goblins and whatnot. They're Except clearly... for Gollum. That was a distinct. Gollum was. Yeah. yeah. But um, that was a very special one character. It moment was. And it was thing. the, it was the first of its kind, but, um, early two thousands. So I don't remember I'm wanting to say, yeah, it might've been early to mid. Oh, four. I don't know. Yeah, um, but but in Fellowship of the Ring, the scenes in Rivendell in particular, you go and you watch them, and, and especially when they're leaving Rivendell, you can you can see the the green screen 
effect outlines yeah. on them. You know, oh, the outlines of it. Yeah, yeah. You can really see, and and, and at the time, you know, everything is so believable. It's, it's like you know, you go back and watch Never Ending Story, and yeah. it feels you know, as a kid, you remember watching that, and it felt so real. And yeah, you go back and you watch it now, and you're like, okay. You you can see the age and feel the age of it, but um, man, I miss those days sometimes. Oh yeah, because our imagination filled in the gap. Well, and I think, and that's what I love so much about uh, or appreciate when in modern modern filmmaking, when people rely more on practical effects versus CGI, right? So, um, so take for example, The Force Awakens, right? So this is a relatively modern Star Wars film, regardless of what you feel about storyline, the new trilogy, you know, I know some people love it. Some people hate it. What I loved about the force awakens in particular was JJ Abrams. Like he was very intentional about using practical effects for all of the aliens. So all the aliens were puppets like in the original trilogy. And yeah, it felt kind of clunky and awkward and, you know, Clearly, maybe it broke the the um, sense of reality or whatnot. But I love that over um, uh, Ryan Johnson's. Uh, the, the, what was the second one? <laughs> the second one called Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that's what it's called. Instead right, of the no, last... no, that was the third. No, no, it was the Last Jedi. Sorry, Last Jedi last was Jedi. second. And then the, yeah, yeah, Last Last Jedi. I, I still think that was a great Star Wars film. Again, mm-hmm. I know it's polarizing. But yeah, once you know backstories behind it and then realize it. <clears throat> you, well, when I know the backstories and then I see, mm-hmm. I like them less. But yeah. when I watched it purposefully pure without thinking about that, I liked yeah. the movie. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I still, I'll rewatch it and still think it was a really great Star Wars film. But... If there's one critique I have on it is I hate that they went back to CGI aliens on that whole canter. And is CGI um um dark side uh, what a Sith? Oh, si- yeah, that no, was No, he's not a Sith. He's a or was he a Sith? Remember the the huge Oh, Snoke. Snoke. Yeah, yeah. That was I mean, yeah. It's it's it was hard for me because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's... Big throne thing. It, it felt... Yeah, maybe... Gosh, was, was Snoke in the first one? He was in the first one. I think he was. You're right, yeah. So they did... They I guess they did still that do That is CGI. the one... Sorry, veering no, off no, somewhere. No, no, That's no, the, he, Snoke's the one that I was like, you led me down a path to nothing with Snoke. I felt no magic about that character and the storyline the same way I would with like the emperor mm-hmm. and um Darth Vader and um and even uh, like when Anakin went dark yeah and when uh and with Kylo okay. Ren so, so I didn't give a shit about uh Snoke unless he was someone special okay, and right. I thought that's where they were going and they did So so okay so this is this is actually really good <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe we're going to shift gears here um because I you know I, we all grew up on Star Wars, um, and I generally root for movies. Like I, unless it's like really bad, 
I will be like, yeah, I enjoyed it. I can see what the director was trying to do. I try to accept it mm-hmm. on, I try to accept films on their own terms and what. And you know what it costs and stuff to make stuff. So right. if they were on a low budget, you'd be like, all right, well then I'll I forgive some of this. You can still tell a good story. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I will say, um, at the time, I remember when seeing um, The Last Jedi and, and, being a little annoyed at because like all of this stuff that was built up in the force awakens about like Ray's family and all this kind of stuff and, and Snoke and who's this. And they've got Ryan Johnson comes in and just is like, you know what? We're going to just throw all that. None of that matters. Like mm-hmm. this very almost like nihilistic approach to the story and like really threw it in chaos, which totally man, I thought, could have been a brilliant move had that been built upon in Rise of Skywalker. But then it just went, screw whatever happened the last right. one. <laughs> and so what I feel like happened We're was going this back like to the petty argument between like J.J. Abrams and That's right. Ryan Johnson. And, That's what I mean about when I read the backstory. Know, I'm like, oh, God. It was, I, don't, I, I don't know actually any of the backstories. No, no. I'm talking it. about what the backstory is, what you're oh, saying. Oh, right, right. So yeah, like, yeah. I feel like... Abrams had this thing, he set this thing up, and he was like, I got this thing, you know, I've got this story, and we're going to, you know, teed it up for the next person to come in and, like, yeah. knock it out of the park. And Ryan Johnson was like, you know what, screw that. Like, that's stupid. Like, Ray's parents, they were nobodies, you know? Yeah. And all this stuff. And then, and then Abrams comes back, and he's like, hold on, no, 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 no. You, I teed it up for you, but you really took it in a direction... I didn't want you to take it into. So I, now I'm going to come back and say, no, no, no. Well, maybe her parents were nobodies, but her now her grandfather was um, uh, the Emperor Palpatine. She's a Palpatine now, you know. So it's like it. It just there was no continuity I, in the storytelling. I don't. I don't think you know? uh, it's the. She is the. Uh, even though I get it, but you're mm-hmm. just you're describing one person thinking. What it probably was was a whole team of writers mm-hmm. and someone went well, they were like um we're missing something for this last one and some dude just goes she could be a palpatine and they were like, like that's ballsy wait that's how could we do is that even possible and then they go we don't know anything about her parents what planet uh, this adds up dude so i'm you're, I, I would i would pay a lot of money to know the truth like why if they, they knew it the whole if they yeah. knew it the whole time no that, that's, there's no way did. i don't think they did because you know for better or worse you know nothing was canon prior to the films being made right there was no well said story and no you know until it was told right it was and, like because this isn't real you know right exactly <laughs> you know and yeah. and so you kind mm-hmm. of have to you know like it or not that is the story of Star Wars. Every you know, time a movie's made, that's made, what that happened. Is canon. That is canon. I, I do that like, too because I want to enjoy the world right. and not be like, nope, the world is false. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, I was you like that with um, yeah. Lost. When people dropped it, I went, no, no, this is what's happening. I, I, I was so in it with uh, Matrix one, two, and three. People were like, "I didn't really." I was like, "This yeah, is what I was happened." Okay with Matrix because it was only a it was a small trilogy, you know. Like, if they went nine movies with it, I'm not sure. 
Did you? I'm assuming you watched the the Fourth Animatrix. Stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those I, were I, those were cool. I had it on DVD and watched it like wore it out. Mm. That felt like canon to me, and I this is why. It said that it was approved by the mm-hmm. at that time with the Wachowski brothers, mm-hmm. uh, and they were cool with it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, then it happened. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If they were like, we don't, we don't know what they did, and we, I would have been like, this is fun to watch. It's but fan it's fiction, not what happened. but it's not right. But he was yeah. like, we're, we're they. Yeah, we're cool. So, and then the fourth one. Okay, what, do you, what what's your opinion on the fourth one? <laughs> Man, it tested my, it tested my fan yeah. purity. Yeah. So if I just like. Uh, Turn the switch to the like. I'm not a deeply connected fan because I ever since it came out, mm-hmm. I was all in. I did extended teachings and church oh, through Matrix we stuff, did, and like we did uh, dramas set yeah. to trance music, dressed in all black, and and like I yeah, I bought in a church. record of like a DJ that was like a on the soundtrack of the second mm-hmm. movie and like okay yeah from like the dance clubs yeah yeah and uh so if i'm if i pretend that's not true was, was that daft punk who was that one crazy scene in zion in the second film yeah i, Sorry, I don't think I, I know who in real life it was though i feel that's like what you're asking yeah yeah i feel like it was it's a because i know i get so yeah. into it i'm like Whatever you're talking about isn't mm-hmm. who they are. Like yeah. the in the in Zion is who they really yeah, are. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I hear that. And uh, not, I wasn't total Matrix nerd. Of like, I didn't think it was actually real. I, sure. I didn't go that far. It was more like the way they made those movies. Mm-hmm. First one in particular, but only because it's not because it's the greatest one. It's I because it's, is, it set the tone yeah. and changed movie making. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's the greatest. Oh yeah, the, but they the, built the, upon the CGI. The, the technology CGI. that was used in that. Well, that's the thing is some. I mean, yes, there was certainly quite a bit of CGI in that, but also so much of the the, the whole bullet time stuff mm-hmm. um, it was all practical. You know, they had I don't know how many cameras. Cameras and you know, two, three dozen. You know, just. Yeah, somebody Google uh, YouTube that if you don't know what we're talking about. It's fantastic. I mean, it's amazing how, yeah, and yeah, they they were similar to James Cameron, I think, in that way of like really pushing forward technology in filmmaking, right? You know, because James Cameron, you know, with with uh, the Abyss and with Terminator Two, you know, and then of course like the Avatar films in more recent years. Like really, really pushed the um, limits of technology and and right. Ways. So like, love him or hate him. Uh, I'm talking about Cameron. Yeah, love yeah. him or hate him. He's just like I want to push to see how far we can take oh, this yeah. thing. Absolutely. And so if you look at it through that lens, I like him more mm-hmm. than I used to mm-hmm. because I sometimes I'd be like, Dad, you try. It doesn't look real, dude. And yeah. you went too far, and it looks bad. Right, but, he, but but I can imagine him going right because when you push it and you're the leader pushing it, you're going to mess up. But oh, somebody's yeah. got to start this thing. Well, I remember he was one of the first people who suggested, um, and this was probably gosh, I don't know, 15 years ago. Well, maybe not 15. I don't know. It, shortly after the first Avatar film came out, and that came out was that 2008? 
I yeah. feel like some, somewhere around then. So winter of 08 or early 09. I yeah. Think, yeah. Cause so that's right when we moved to Boone. years ago. Yeah. Um, I remember shortly after that, him sort of, uh, I remember reading an article how he was wanting to push the limits on or, or, or challenge the perception on frame rates in cinema. So, so basically when you, when you watch a, a film, you know, and most people nowadays know this, but, um, everything's kind of presented in at 24 frames a second. It just sort of has this, you know, we roll our eyes at the term, but cinematic feel, you know, it just, it, mm. it, it's, there's enough separation from reality when you're watching a screen, like it, it draws you in, right. Um, kind of like the whole uncanny Valley thing, right? Like yeah. it, it's enough separation from reality that it, it allows you to enter into it. Right. As opposed to things about things, sucks you in just because of how good it is it is exactly right this is real <laughs> it's right? not so much right. not so much because it looks 24 frames for, it's more of because it's just so good it's just so good <laughs> right so so but like you know on television and especially like soap operas in you know the 80s and 90s those were shown at like higher frame rates you know 30 frames a second or 50 or, or sometimes up to 60 frames a second and it just kind of has this real video yeah. quality to it, and and it, it it it's it takes you out of the experience, right? Wow. Um, and so, uh, so James Cameron though was like, you know what? I think that's just a stigma, and I think we can overcome that barrier because he felt like filmmaking could become better if we overcame that sort of separation like 24 frames a second like that's he's that's trying to unteach, archaic... unteach a whole culture yeah, way of yeah. watching something so gutsy move dude gutsy move he didn't really do it though well that's well, part he, of it he that's decided what I against it I think oh he didn't even go he, through with it well i don't know i i did hear on the latest avatar film there are sections of the movie that are higher frame rates than others um i didn't notice it i've only seen it once um uh, the new uh, the way of water. Yeah, I um, saw it. I, so I didn't notice anything that felt like, oh wow, that's sixty frames a second or anything like that. Um, Sarah went and saw it a second time, and she said she felt like she did notice some sections of the film that were like that. But I do remember watching The Hobbit. Um, I wasn't into it because of probably they, what you're describing. They did The Hobbit, and and I didn't Peter know Jackson. What it was. That you you had the option. He filmed it at forty eight frames a second, so that's double twenty four frames, which is your typical cinema frame rate. Um, he filmed it at forty eight frames a second, and you had the option of of when you went to see it in theaters to see it at forty eight frames a second in three D and or whatever. Um, so I did. I saw it in three D because it was filmed in three D, um, and I saw it at forty eight frames a second, and I hated it. And it, because it felt like instead of being drawn into the 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 scene more, the reality of it, I felt like I was sitting on set with the actors on location. So that's how it I was feel when I go to my mom's real. house. When my mom, when I go to my mom's house, she turns on her TV. I go, "What is happening?" Yes, they've got the true motion like, or whatever. I'm the, like, "Is this?" Yes. She has the TV oh. setting, and I, I, an untrained eye, I go. It looks like feels cheap. I'm on set with this piece of crap tele- television yeah. show. Feels and like a like, soap opera. And take four. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. but this is but it feels weird when it's like uh, 
um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, he wouldn't be in something this bad. Right. Which is true. Yeah. But it's it's like, how am I looking at it then? Oh, it's the... F- so you can change the setting on the camera. The you can change the setting on the TV. Yeah, yeah. Here's so, my question. If, if everyone, quote, everyone knows it's bad, why would anybody want to push? The, like, is it cheaper? Do you save money? No, it's more expensive because like even... So, so think about it this way. Uh, That's ridiculous, if you are, Kevin. If you're shooting film, which some people, I guess, maybe still shoot on like proper film. Yeah. You know, that's twice as much film you're using, right? So, um, oh, yeah, sure. You I, know, I was thinking about it the other way. But that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and even if you're not shooting film, like, you know, most it, cameras. So it costs are, you more money and everyone tells you it's nerdy. Why do you do it? Is it because he's a nerd? Well, who who's he james cameron well he didn't that's the thing he he i think he saw oh he ended up not ended up really not going through except for a couple except of those for scenes a couple, maybe it makes sense right, right he didn't do it makes sense in maybe some action sequences yeah um you know but like in like in dramatic scenes where you have like dialogue or emotional yeah. whatever um happening it 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 in my opinion it's sort of it it pulls you out of the moment when yeah. you feel like you are physically there, not bearing witness to, but but there on set. Yeah, um, as know? opposed to there, this is really my life for real. Right, right. I am actually, I, I have to dodge a dragon's fire to live. Mm. As opposed to, that's cool how they did that right cinematically right you're just in it like oh my god are we gonna win and i remember it was a similar thing when when 4k maybe it was 1080 no i wanted to say it was 4k when 4k became um sort of the standard standard. of good yeah Yeah. um i remember there being it being really disruptive in uh the the cinema world in particular with makeup artists and costuming Uh right so there was a lot that you could get away with Prior to, you know, this like ultra HD resolutions where, you know, like makeup or costumes, um, it just, I'm trying to find the right way to, to express it, but it, it, in a way that you look at a painting or something that was maybe slightly expressionist or whatnot, like the, the details didn't get in the way, the way that they do now. So, so hmm. <clears throat> costuming and makeup and, and cinema has changed in the last 15 years because they've had to adapt to the fact that things that, you know, so for example, people you used to be able to put on a lot of makeup, you know, like male actors, female actors, whatever, you know, you would put on more makeup that was, you know, if you were on set with the lighting, with the, with right. the lighting and if you were physically on set and you were like, first AC or whatever, and, or, or, you know, a production assistant, you would look at that actor and say, wow, you can tell they're wearing makeup. But once it's filmed and when you, you watch tell it on anymore. TV, you don't see that. Like it's, it's it just it feels the way the real. lighting hits. Right, and... right. That became less true. Right. Like all of a sudden that became Kevin, more I've obvious. had these moments and I'm yeah. like, I can see the dude's makeup. Yeah. Yeah, like the line. I they can have see to it. be. They have to. Are they just like? I I remember thinking, are they just that bad at making movies? That, no, no, you, that's it, that's what my thought was. Like they just are <clears throat> terrible at movie so, making. So here's a funny thing. So I talked. We were, we were we were talking about Lord of the Rings earlier, right? And and uh, 
going back to that scene in Rivendell and yeah. the green screen stuff. So I recently on Voodoo, uh, I had the option of like upgrading all of the Lord of the Rings movies because we'd bought them, you know, years ago in on in HD for oh. you know I don't know sixty bucks or whatever, and it was like, hey, for twenty bucks, you can up upgrade all of your films to 4k and i was like yeah i'll do that i want right. to have these if in 4K. this is one of my favorite stories of movie yeah. making history i want the best version i want of the it. best version of it so i paid the 20 bucks and now we have access to the now 4K you see other makeup sarah <laughs> will not watch them in 4k she's like i can't watch this yeah. it's just it looks too bad like change can, it back to hd yeah change it back all know. of a sudden you 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 can see the dude with the boom mic almost like, like you know, proverbially the, speaking yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like you know, it's like you yeah. can see the cracks in the production you know and i think that's what's happened you with a lot of these see, old films um like orlando bloom instead of um right Legolas. yeah exactly yeah it pulls you out of it <laughs> yeah. like there's too much reality and i dude. think the frame rates is part of that and so so how do yeah. you okay? So shrinking back to maybe like um, maybe not the best movies ever made, mm-hmm. top tier, and you could argue hundred of those, two hundred of those, three hundred sure. of those, but not counting those. If you're if you're not in the stratosphere of making a five hundred million dollar movie, mm-hmm. how do you make really good things mm-hmm. with a budget? And mm-hmm. and even plenty of budget, but not mm-hmm. five hundred million dollars, yeah. right? How do you how do you do good stuff mm-hmm. on on a profession a realistic professional budget? Yeah, I think really um, you have to have there. There needs to be somewhat of a, a decent budget, um, yeah. But it doesn't have to be like you know you know millions of dollars or anything. But I think so. I've I've worked on a few sets um this past year a couple indie films where you know low budget and when i say low budget we're still looking at around like a hundred thousand dollars so yeah. this isn't you know, like like a high school thing right on, it's not a school project with it's, your it iPhone is you know you, there are you know you have a crew and you yeah. got to pay your crew and you know any any film set you're you're looking at even on a small crew you're looking at you know 20 to 50 people, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but in order to, to tell a, a really good, to make a good film, I don't know it. So, so think about, you, you have to have a really great idea, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I think about, um, you know, Blair Witch Project, which I think their budget, and I don't know if this budget included their marketing, um, but, it looks like when you when you watch Blair Witch Project, it looks like I mean it was made on a. I camcorder. saw it in the theater. Did you yeah. see it in the theater? No, I saw it in the I, theater. I didn't see it until it came out on DVD yeah. or. And that might have been stuff we talked about. Like at the age you were, your parents were not going to let you do that. They weren't right? going to. Yeah. What was cool about that? Did you go when you saw Blair Witch? Did you believe that it was actual real found footage? Because it was one of the first of no. its kind. Okay, so you knew it was acting. I knew it was fake. Okay, I okay. was just told. The way it jerks around, you might throw up. Right, and I saw people throw up. In oh the yeah, theater. it was it was yeah. Dude, I can't I imagine love... seeing it on a massive screen. That, yeah, but it was it was a really well done film. But it was a debate among people I knew mm-hmm. that they were like, "No, it is real." And, yeah, I remember. You know, I didn't. I don't so much. I didn't know that it was real. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know that it was fake. I mm-hmm. thought it was fake. There's right. a difference. Well, you know, you have to think. 
any reasonable person, if you step back a little bit and think, okay, they're they, charging tickets for this. And they could not. movie posters. And sometimes you go, I don't think they could have had that shot. Right. If it was what, the, I, I thought it was just one little camera. Right, right. And you see like a wide shot and then a zoom in and mm-hmm. you're like, so maybe I don't so know if, I, so, even if that's so. True, I bring but. Blair Witch uh, because I'm wanting to say low budget, I'll have good to. Idea. I say low budget, but if you look it up, I'm thinking they still had like a fifty thousand dollar budget, okay. which is a lot of money if you don't have any money, right? Like if I yeah. wanted to make a movie, I don't have fifty thousand yeah, dollars like to make a film, backing. right? Right. So, um, you know, but I don't know how much of that budget was spent on marketing or or whatever, but. You know the the equipment wise, you know it it was filmed on camcorders. Maybe they were really nice camcorders for the time, but um, the some point people is, just googled what is a camcorder. What is a camcorder? <laughs> but it was, a, it was a really really good story, right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to spend a lot of money on on that. But <clears throat> I think yeah, if you've got a really good a really good story you want to tell. Um, I don't think you have to have a ton of money to do it, which is why, like, you know, I love, I'm particularly drawn, I want to get more into documentary filmmaking mm-hmm. because that is something that you, you're, you have the ability to um, do, I mean, not just because you can do it, you don't have to rely on as many people, mm-hmm. uh, although that is true. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just finding you can find really compelling stories. If you can find a really good story to tell, you can do that in a way that it doesn't require, you know, massive a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. You, you know, might you be can... staying in some hotels traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, so travel expenses, travel and, expenses and camera and, and a then, handful of cameras. And then you got to, you know, feed yourself, you know, and, and, yeah. and I, so I, it's probably in the, tens of thousands to make yeah, a good one? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I mean, if, if you know, most documentary films, a lot a lot of the ones that you see, you know, literally take years to make. But let's say you yeah. can, you, you're able to do, do it in a year. Yeah. Well, you know, aside from your living expenses, so let's just say that's $50,000 mm-hmm. um, or more. And then you want to... Uh, then you have all the the travel expenses on top of that, and, right? And, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's it, and that's for a cheap movie. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's like that's a lot of money for mm-hmm. a cheap movie. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it's certainly not the same as. Yeah, it's not the same as feature. you know, certainly a, a, a massive feature. But you know, so so I worked on this film um, that a lot of our friends were involved in. Um, mm. That is a narrative you know it's it's a christmas movie that's going to be coming out uh, i don't know if i'm even allowed to say the title of it so yeah. i won't but it's a christmas movie coming out hopefully this coming year maybe next year i don't know it's being marketed to different studios at the moment but it was an independent film really small crew i think there's like 20 crew members cast was super small um you know maybe ryan Ren- ryan reynolds the star of it <laughs> no <laughs> no Buddy of mine, though, he's uh, been he's in a lot of them. He's Ryan been in a Reynolds good Christmas is. movie last year. Can't remember what it's called. It was oh, good. Yeah. It's funny. Well, this one will be really good. It's about a musician uh, who's trying to make a living, and it's it's great. I think I and we we went to the screening. Um, this it was you know they did a private screening for the just cast and crew yeah. in uh, this past December, and it was oh, I loved it. 
And maybe, I don't know, it's hard, you know, when you're, I, I the work I did on it, I, I did uh, this job called DIT, which is essentially, um, I was m- managing the media cards for the cameras. So essentially making sure that the film didn't get lost. Yeah. <laughs> so everything was backed up and all that. So, and then doing like some, some grip work and like setting up lights and stuff. Was it um, frustrating to not be part of the video because of your experience? It uh, seems no, like- I mean like the, 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 the DPs and the, 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 the camera operators that were, you know, working on it were, you know, some, some, some of the best folks in Charlotte. So I was just honored to be part of that part of the crew, you know, like they're, they're really, yeah, top notch guys. Um, and so, yeah, and they were using honestly they 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 were using um you know RE cameras which I've never operated they're these even though it was low budget they they were renting these cameras that were you know the the camera bodies themselves are you know 40 50,000. The oh. lenses are probably another $30,000, you know. So the the gear I use is, you know, my, my whole rig is under $10,000. <laughs> so, well, like, it sounds to me like I would not they're not necessarily better than you. They have access to higher quality equipment than you. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Because uh, you, yeah, you probably have just as much experience as they do, right? I mean, maybe. I don't. So this is th- actually, you're, you're hitting on an interesting point. So... Um, Why can't are, you tell the better story? Not I'm, I'm not saying it's a competition, but no, maybe this circles so, back to documentary. Yeah, well, and that uh, honestly, that's kind of why I'm more mm-hmm. drawn into to, to getting into documentary. Work it's because, freaking hipster, dude! I got ten grand worth of equipment, and I'm going to make a really good <laughs> freaking documentary. Well, so so the difference is, a lot of these guys are are you know when you go on uh, on like bigger sets, mm-hmm. you know, even on like independent films. You're working with a lot of folks who are part of unions, right? So, oh wow, um, and and they put a lot of time and energy, and they worked really hard to be in the position that they're in, right? So, I far be it from me to say like, oh yeah, I could do that, you know? Um, it's because they're the, the equipment that they're operating. So, for example, uh, the camera, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> The camera that I use, I can operate it solely by myself. Like it, I, I don't need anyone else. Like the cameras th- that are used on film sets, uh, for example, on the last two films I worked on, were they were using Ari Alexa Minis, which are, you know, kind of industry standard, not super. Um, uh, there are nicer cameras that already make but uh you know these are like thirty thousand forty thousand dollar camera bodies so really nice but there are even nicer ones. it's a camry it's a toyota camry of cameras uh, like you there are lexus in, in, in the film industry they are the yes they are yeah they are there are lexuses out there and lamborghinis yeah. out there but you want a good one it's gonna get you right there. right it's a yeah camry so for example like a, the the alexa mini it's not even a 4k camera it's only got a 2.5k sensor on it but the image quality is like fantastic. It's really is it an weird. Avalon? I don't know what that means. So an Avalon is so Toyota Camry. Uh-huh. To, you know Toyota and Lexus is the same company, right? Okay. Toyota. There's a Corolla. Right, right. There's a little little things. Mm-hmm. There was an Echo and like a right, yeah, right. Uh, Prius, but can't 
Corolla Camry, and then you can go to a Lexus. Mm-hmm. But in between Camry and Lexus is a Toyota. Uh, what yeah, are, so are, so if we're using that analogy, Avalon. I would have to say if 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 that we're going to say that if we're going to say like an Aria Alexa is a Camry, then I have to think okay, well what does that make my rig? That would be like oh, I'm on like a a tricycle or something, you know. Is it like electric so, is it an electric tricycle <laughs> or just like plastic? No, no. I mean it's it's a you know so so in in the film industry. <laughs> so in okay, so so the camera that I use is often used as like a crash cam in the film industry because it's an inexpensive camera, but it does a. What it, is a crash cam? It's a camera that that is used. They'll often mount it to um, like cars and okay. action sequences. <laughs> oh my god! So okay. so like if and when they get destroyed, it's not like a Dude. budget problem. So something right? that some some of the viewers are like. Ten thousand dollars is a lot. Well, my camera. That's but in my that industry. Rig. It's like, yeah, they're the ones you freaking throw against yeah, rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, and, and that's like the whole rig. Like the camera body itself is like twenty five hundred bucks. Then the lens is like another, like twelve hundred. And then you know the camera. So cage basically, and all if somebody wants to really give this thing a go and be and become a videographer, they should not go to Walmart. And not get to Walmart, mo- but you don't. But I wouldn't say you have to spend that much money, though. Either. Yeah, but you're, but it's yeah. not going to be like I got this really good one. It's three hundred and fifty dollars, and it's like let me stop you there. It's not good enough, right? right? Yeah, three fifty. No, no. But <laughs> but I will say this: there is. Um, I think that it really depends on the kind of like what kind of career you want to pursue, right? So is this for funsies you, or is this for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it would not make sense. Like if you want to be a content creator on YouTube, right? Which, you know, a lot of people want to disparage and like, honestly, that's not my thing. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people like, there are people who make a living doing that. So I'm not saying you can't do that. Right. Um, uh, you can if a bunch of people give to Patreon. Patreon. Uh, yeah. Uh, and about uh, get a sponsorship. Yeah, you can go to thingsaboutthings.com, click on the Patreon button. And uh, I mean, if enough people give a buck a month, I might, I could be that's the one true. that's like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. That is right, totally right, how you're I, right. Well, yeah. so, so, so consider like, supporting the podcast. So, it, but if you're, yeah, if you're wanting to be a YouTuber or, or like, a, uh, say, like a wedding videographer, yeah, which again, another field where you can make good money doing People that. will pay some coin for weddings, dude. Yeah, like, <laughs> In that case, you, yeah, you don't want to buy. You, it would be stupid to buy an Aria Alexa for that because you need like three people to run that camera. Yeah, you know, and and so like that'd be it, dumb. It would be stupid. That's a poor investment <laughs> yeah. of your funds. Would would a would a billionaire's kids' wedding have those, or would they? They, they it wouldn't even be worth it even no, then. Because well, I mean, like if. Like, do you mind having a film crew blocking on set, your, uh, like for your wedding cocktail you know? table? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's like, do you do you really want that? Oh no, okay. you want stealthy ninjas, so it's right. got to be the cut. Yeah, so right. like, depending on what you're wanting to do, like yeah. even with these cameras now, like that. I, I realized this in the last episode. <laughs> listening back, I said like a million times. Uh, I'm trying not to do that this time. Common. Around. I'm common sure thing. I've failed. Everybody but does it sometimes. I know. So if you are, depending on what you're doing, you don't, it's finding the right tool for the, the, the yeah. kind of work that you want to pursue. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, would I, if someone were to offer me one of these, 
you know, forty thousand dollar camera bodies, would I take it? Sure, I would probably rent it out. Yeah, and, as an and investment, as an investment. Like... But for me to use on a on a shoot for what I typically do, it would be impractical. Well, let know? me ask you back to the. It's a different way of thinking. And when what, something shot on one thing and then mm-hmm. shot in another way, we were talking mm-hmm. about CGI and all that. All right, but, yeah, yeah. But what if you, with your gear that you have. And you did a lot of people content and interviews, mm-hmm. and then there was some wide shots, and there was B roll. Mm-hmm. But then part of it was that forty thousand dollar one, and you got stuff like the highest quality shots of nature mm-hmm. that might be better. Yeah. Could, but then if you had footage of both, could those two be used in the same documentary, oh, yeah. or would it look too? No, no. So, so that's where okay, that is where a colorist comes in. Oh, okay. They're the ones. So, so in, in the industry, I am a bit of a jack of all trades yeah. person. I do camera op, so videographer, I'm an editor, I'm an animator. I do, um, I, I would not say I'm a, I, I guess I play the role of producer and director occasionally. I don't like doing that. Um, but if it's just, a small amount On of smaller jobs, something. I'm fine to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But any, anything that involves coordinating with, lots of people i preferred leaving that to someone else um so uh where was i going with that what was your question again well you're talking about coloring right okay yeah, yeah. so 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 <clears throat> one of the things i also do is uh i i'm a colorist as well kind of um only by default because we don't hire other people to do it so <laughs> right if you so, so you you taught yourself how to I do taught, it i taught yeah and 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 I will say this about That's teaching like yourself. What almost everything is, dude. You know, the the internet is very generous with knowledge. Of course, you have to be really selective as to what knowledge is is valuable and what isn't, because there's a lot <laughs> of bad information yeah. out there um, and a lot of bad practices. But there are some really good best practices that you can can find. And so, yes, so so the job of a colorist is to, you know, in a perfect world, yes, you're going to be shooting not just with the same cameras if you've got multiple cameras mm-hmm. on set but also with the same uh lenses or or at least the same brand of lenses so for example um let's say uh, you know i use sigma lenses because they're a little bit cheaper but really high quality um versus like the the counterparts of of canon or sony right oh you is know, it so, like marketing it's overpriced because of the advertising i don't know maybe yeah um i think that happens sometimes with quality it, it's like they're the same this one doesn't bother telling the world on commercials in the super right, bowl and right, this one does right so <laughs> you know? yeah so so i use sigma lenses but i also have a lot of canon lenses and i've got some other branded lenses and lenses actually play a, a really large role in color as well. So like, oh, how much so, they can receive, I guess. Right, matters, right, right. It's it's like the glass that's inside. You know, renders color slightly me, differently. Kevin. So, and you really notice it mm. um, with skin tones. That's that's where 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 it can can uh, be problematic. Well, speaking of colorists, wouldn't mm. that be what someone is if we had never created the construct of race, but they still didn't like those people? Those They would be colorists. They would be colorists. <laughs> those are colorists. <laughs> Racists, if there was no such thing as something called racism, <laughs> it'd be colorism. Be color, color, that, colorism. Yeah, and it's been happening since the dawn of time. So I'm going to tell all of my friends out there, John Schroeder, if you're watching, 
colorist. Don't be a colorist. Don't be a colorist, man. It's, he's a good. He's a great colorist, actually. He's he's a guy who he's kind of the go-to guy in Charlotte. What's um, the What's the purpose that like if you had to really name like the purpose? Simple statement. What are they trying to fix? Uh, oh, something of a, of a colorist. Yeah, yeah. So they have two jobs. So you have, um, so they have, so there's color correction, which is what you would do in say you've got a situation where. Lighting circumstances weren't ideal. Um, generally on film sets, you have like 100% controlled lighting. You know, you've got these massive lighting right. rigs and every, there's nothing left to chance. But, but if it's outside, it might have been a sort of cloudy right, on right. one day and exactly. not at all. Oh, right, man. Right. So, so you've got color correction and then you've got color. I think of it this way, and you know, any colorists out there, forgive me if I'm butchering the, the terminology here, but... Um, I think of it and like a twofold job of a colorist. One is would be color correction, and then secondly would be color grading, which is adding the style to it. So, Whoa. so think again. Is that back, think to, back matrix? to matrix? Okay. Right again, bit heavy handed, but you know you. But that was it, what they were going for. Yeah. Mood, right? And so, um, so they create the mood, and then and then it, in the event that they're using multiple cameras, and again on on lar- larger film sets. You're not gonna. They're not gonna be mixing. You know, they're not gonna be shooting on a Sony Venice and a Ari Alexa or a Red Gemini. You know, like they're they're gonna be using the same brand mm-hmm. usually, uh, at least of camera, not necessarily lenses. I've seen. I've been on a lot of movie sets where, you know, they'll use Sigma lenses on the A cam and then like an Ingenue, which are these beautiful. I love them, but they're cinema zoom lenses, um, but they're like. But it's but it's inconsistent. But, but 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 they're not consistent. Yeah, they're different. Would some corporations not ever let that happen? You think like some studios would say we'd never let that. Yeah, happen? Yeah, I mean honestly, most of these like I, I would imagine any you know all all of the big Hollywood films they're they're using you standard know, something. Yeah, their their lenses their lens kits are worth more than your house. You know. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous the the amount of money that you can yeah I mean have their single lenses can be like one hundred fifty thousand dollars and then which I don't but then yeah. along comes somebody that wants to purposely <clears throat> make a film that isn't like that mm-hmm. to mess well, with people and it's like a different thing well and and here's the thing is you don't have to have that kind of budget you don't have to spend that kind of money uh, to to tell a good story I mean it's like it's it's like um, uh, think of a musician, right, or songwriters, right. So you've got um, somebody who is if you're a really really good songwriter and you've you've, you've written some fantastic songs and music, um, doesn't matter if you're playing on a five hundred dollar guitar or a four thousand dollar guitar. Like, am I going to appreciate the music any better? Like, I might hear some nuances in, uh, on the nicer equipment, but like, so, okay, great example of this. But why wouldn't you want that if you could attain if it? If you can, yeah. If but you're, it's not going to make or break. John Mayer, you're like, it's going to be the best thing there is because right. I'm the best, dude, and sure. we're going to hear it. Okay, but think about this. Have you, uh, so, uh, I used to be, and I still am, but I haven't listened to him a whole lot in recent years. But when I was younger, huge 
David Gray fan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had this album come out like in the late '90s called "A Century Ends." I think it was his first album, okay. and if you listen to it, the production value is—it's not great. It's not terrible, but like it's not anything that, like, at Joe's place, we could come up with a better produced. Album right, now, right, right. Yeah. So you're saying you could still hear it. You can. Still you enjoyed hear it. it but it's fine. Quality was but lacking. the quality is like it's not amazing, but it doesn't matter because it's a great. The songwriting is so good. So I am right? like this with music, mm-hmm. big time, dude. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm like this with movies. I'm not. I'm not sure if I. I I'm feeling the movie vibe like when. When somebody goes, we didn't have any budget. It's really bad, but the story was good. I'm like, I can't watch a shitty movie. It's that bad. Yeah, but, okay, but if somebody so, just presses record on their MacBook, if mm-hmm. their song is magic, mm-hmm. I feel the magic. Well, okay. Well, let me ask you this then. So, well, you saw Blair Witch, yeah, and you thought that was pretty good. Yes, I did. I didn't throw up, right? But I was like, okay. What if about I'm honest, what about it was more sociologically? fascinating of how people were acting cloverfield right. cloverfield's another similar example of the found footage kind of thing yeah um there was another yeah, one that, that came out I remember that. um recently that had a very very low budget um it wasn't annihilation it's another sci-fi film and i'm wanting to say um oh gosh we you know what? I'll have to. I'll let, I'll I'll look it up and I'll. I'll yeah, I'm curious if I like any of these movies. <clears throat> yeah, it, but it was a sci-fi budget. film and it was low budget. That's and, a tough combination. Yeah, I know. But again, technology now, you can, you know, the the, yeah, what you can do with, with just with an After Effects, if you've got a decent VFX artist, you know, you can pull off a lot of. I guess it just depends on what you're going for, right? Yeah, because. I don't want to see a $20,000 Lord of the Rings trilogy. No. You know, I just don't. Sure. I won't even watch it. Sure. Uh, sometimes I feel like they push the CGI too far in Hobbit and then Hobbit ones, yeah. and I'm like, yeah. I didn't like it. But I don't want to see a really terrible quality one. Uh, Dune wouldn't work for me with no. no budget. But like a Wes Anderson film would. But a Wes Anderson. It, I think it's right. the conversations. Yeah. And maybe the terrain is a... The set is uh-huh. actually a, just a diner, right? Not what you don't have that? to build yeah. some unbelievably fantastical set to believe the mm-hmm. scene. We just like the diner was closed. They let us come in at night and we turn on the lights and pretended they were open. And well, it's they, like we the paid whole, them a hundred dollars uh, or something. Like the whole before sunset, before sunrise, that whole trilogy yeah. where it feels like just one long shot for the entire film, right? You know, they probably. I mean, yeah, you've got like. Ethan Hawke in, uh, what's her name? I forgot her name, the French actress. Uh, you know, so I'm sure they yeah. probably had to pay a lot of money to pay have the, them. The, the actors themselves, you know, sure. But, but theoretically, that, they could have been willing to take less or none. Theoretically, they could have made that film. Because if they for, believe in it, yeah. it's like, look, I, have, I make plenty of money. Mm-hmm. I want to be a part of this film. Yeah. Give me some lunch every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know. Right. So like. And that was a great movie. And it, when you watch it, you don't think, "Wow, budget film." You, that's you don't. That's not even. It's just on a the good radar. story they're it's telling. A good you. story. Yeah, and a good dude. story doesn't draw attention to the budget. So here's the question: well, I mean, Does it? Can you ruin the good story if you push the budget too high? 
I mean, because I think that's true with music. I think sometimes oh, yeah. people get they, the idea is so good. Yeah, you go just that was the thing, dude. Like yeah. learn from Dylan and just play it right like that and record. I mean, that. I, I I have my own experiences with making a record with friends, right? Um, where you know we were in the studio for a week. I loved what we had. I was I was like, dude. All we had to do was was we did scratch vocals that week, and so we just needed to to do proper vocals on top of it. And sounded good. I I was we were well. I say we. I was. I thought we were ready to go, and then we ended up essentially deconstructing the entire album. Oh, and well, it's like you pull the Jenga piece out, and somebody goes. What if I did the high part right there? And then next thing you know, you rewrote the lyrics yeah, the of the thing, song. The whole thing got, you know, and... <laughs> oh, you know, it, go it, with your soul it, instead. It bummed me out a little bit. You know, I'm, if you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I probably yeah. even have a guess. I don't you, know. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, I have good, Steven. solid guess. It's a good record before we redid it. Oh man! Yeah, no, it was fine. It was a good. We did. Hey, a, hey, can I say I've listened to everything you guys made? Yeah, I love all of it. Oh, it's great! It was great. So, like, like I, I'm, I'm, can I just be the neutral party that just says I loved all of it? I, you know, and what it ended up lose, turning L-U-Z. into lose. Yeah, <laughs> like I think we're Light. erased from the internet. I think Stephen and Jeremy made sure that everything oh. was gone. Oh, that's so I sad. I found some CDs though. I've got if uh, if you want one, I've got like whole boxes. I think I have it. But anyway, <laughs> you were asking about is it possible if you put too much money into something that to ruin it? This wasn't a matter of putting more money into it, um, only because we had a studio at our house, and so it, it didn't really. The only thing that it cost was time. But had we not had that space, it would have been a lot of money kind of going in and deconstructing the album and kind of piecing it back together and whatever. And in my opinion, <clears throat> this is just me, I feel like we had a stronger thing, a more pure thing after after our initial investment, right, of time and, mm. and resources. And then I think the more that we sort of put into it, it, I don't know, I feel like that diminished the, the final product, in my opinion. When, when has it ever worked? That I'm trying to figure out. When has it ever worked that you know of? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean anecdotally through like a documentary you mm-hmm. watched, but someone that you knew was a part of something. Mm-hmm. They had something magic, mm-hmm. and then as soon as they they went with major budget, mm-hmm. it wasn't magic anymore. Um, Have you ever I seen it see... where it stayed magic? Oh, where it stayed Have magic? You ever, they... ever, ever in when your they whole had life? Bigger budget. Um, because I want to know who I want to know that kind of person. Um, that's a good. That is a good question. It's because, hard to find, dude. Yeah. There's got to be somebody, right, that that actually has been friends with Taylor Swift mm-hmm. from the beginning. And if that's the case, I think that's beautiful. But I would like to know someone who has that story. I will say the little bit that I... The, the one example that I would say 
Um, and I don't know these people, but like mm-hmm. Death Cab for Cutie. Okay, this is a good. So because, dude, I'm a I, I'm a big fan. Right. So so they had um, wow. They they did the whole uh, photo booth. Album. It was I don't know if it was called photo booth, but I, I know which one. Photo booth. Yeah. And then they did Transatlanticism. Yeah, yeah. And those were both kind of more lower budget albums. And then they brought in, what's his name? Rick Rubin, I think, uh, for Plans. And Plans, a lot of people were skeptical about this album because it was like, oh, they're they're bringing in, okay, they're no longer indie. They've got like the big guy producer coming in. They've They've been discovered now. They've been discovered, right. And in my opinion, Plans is their best album. How about that? So I, I think, you know, I think that album. What about after that album? Um, could it be that the reason you like it so much is they hit their sweet spot of of yeah. like they hit the line, uh-huh. and that was the line. Yeah, but they went past that line. The line is you, they go, hey, we're gonna throw in an extra guy here because we think his sound really would match yours and they were right if they just left it alone after well, that. Well, I think I think what happened was they ended up I'm wanting to say the uh Chris Walla left Death Cab after that album. Why? Which I it's not really shouldn't even be my business why. I hate I don't know. I don't know why, but I think after he left I want to know why. <laughs> um it just they were never the same like the melodies just weren't quite What if it's just him? What if it's just a band, every person in that band uh-huh. has something magical? Yeah. And when you get together and it's a magical band, it's because all of you are Everybody's magical equally, in their own way yeah. mm-hmm. for their own reason. It might be associated with an instrument, as it mm-hmm. often is, but it might not even be that. It might be their their energy right. that they bring yeah. is irreplaceable. Yeah. I think it, yeah, I think after he left, it just it was yeah they were never the same and, and same was same with like Cigaros right like another band around the same time um, I was into both like equally and I forget the guy's name but he was the the keyboard pianist mm-hmm. in in Cigaros and mm-hmm. he left and I've listened to his independent stuff I can't remember the name right now I, know, I, I like it name. all yeah but he <laughs> but but the yeah. the combination of of the when they were a four piece, something magic. It was just yeah, there was something beautiful about how it all worked together. Yeah, and I've never cared about their like their 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 stuff since. So he I mean, had some magic. He had is he what had it, some magic, and that's really what it is. And his independent stuff has magic too. Yeah, but at the same time, I can't help but think that he left behind some magic, which was oh, them, hundred percent. And that's that's the thing about bands when bands split. Mute Math is my favorite band of all okay, time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they they technically exist in the sense of no one from the current or former band members, Whoa. and there's only one current band member, Paul Meany. Is he the singer? Yeah. He, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I haven't checked it in the last year or two, so I. I apologize. But they were great. No, no, that's okay. like yeah. if some people know an update, I don't know if like are more true fans of Mute Math than me. Mm-hmm. But like when the drummer left, oh man, he was. He like, was yeah, they replaced the lead guitarist, mm-hmm. and it was fine. And that's it's because the the original lead guitarist he was good, but he didn't bring an irreplaceable magic. Mm-hmm. 
he was just really good. They mm-hmm. replaced it, and it was like, this works. Mm-hmm. The drummer, irreplaceable magic. Oh, yeah. Bassist, irreplaceable magic. Yeah. Paul, lead singer, keyboardist, guitarist, mm-hmm. irreplaceable magic. Yeah. They don't exist except if they still exist and it's only Paul. But no, he and none of the former has ever said we no longer exist as a band. Right. So technically, Mute Math has not broken up. Right. And okay. it's still known as Mute Math, and it's just Paul doing beats. But he does like he does projects with mm-hmm. like um um twenty one um twenty anyway I can't I remember know. the band yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a band I, I'm not as familiar with but are, sure but it's if I said their name you'd know who I'm talking about but uh I I have a hard time with the this tension I feel because mute math would be an example of they go all out with not necessarily mm-hmm. budget, but with like electronic everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they came out with a an acoustic album, I would listen to it because I'm a mm-hmm. big fan, but I wouldn't be like really pumped about it. Right, right. And I'm wondering. Here's a question. Or I think you're Boney Vare fan. Oh yeah, I'm a Bon yeah. big Boney Vare yeah, fan yeah. too. And a uh, big bone hashtag big bone. And uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, his first album. Oh yeah, for Emma for for Emma Forever Go. Irreplaceable or, yeah, album. Yeah. Um he he made music as his own name mm-hmm. prior to Bon Iver existing. So it's yeah, tough to he, say his well, first like, album. Well he was Justin uh, I know you're a longtime listener. Yeah, <laughs> shout Justin out to Vernon. Justin. Good to see you. What a good guy, it seems. I know, man. He does I wonder if dude. he's one. What's that? Okay. I bet you he's legit. I bet you, and I, everyone has their, like, everyone can be an asshole sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if somebody was just okay at something and then they got good and then they got discovered and then the budget went bigger and they mm-hmm. stayed legit, there's still going to be people that think he's an asshole just sure. because people get jealous. Sure. and That's not even what I'm talking about. Just like, oh, this one guy doesn't like his attitude. Mm-hmm. Like, people know. Mm-hmm. I think he's one. I bet you he did that album. Things grew. He started going like experimental, electronic, and damn if is it it isn't good every time. Yeah. Could he come out with another acoustic album? Is oh, it I, I think he could. I, I Justin, really do. dude. Justin, I come up with good ideas sometimes. This is one of them. You could freaking come out with an acoustic album and just for one to get us hungry. For the cra- even yeah. freaking craziest one you've ever done after that, yeah. Justin, I consider think he, it. I think he totally... And I, I would buy it. He's oh, done, oh, man. He's done... Uh, uh, what about uh, sound stuff sound, before okay. we done? <laughs> Should sound. I get microphones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Microphones. <laughs> the sound is really important. Um, I, if yes. You're doing, again, if you're doing interviews, you know, in a controlled environment, like indoors... Always do boom over lobs. Lobs are fine, but b- get a good boom mic. Um, boom, greater symbol, lobs. Yeah, I mean, lobs are great as a backup. You know, I have lobs, and I always bring them with me on on shoots. Right. And sometimes you, you need them, but... Are lobs... Do lobs sit the bench on varsity, or are they on junior varsity? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Boom they, over love, though. Boom over love. Uh, and, like, you know, <clears throat> and if you have the budget, spend a little bit more on a boom. I, I, I use, a, it's not terribly expensive, but not cheap, uh, the Rode NTG3. 
uh, specifically the three NTG three is the or NGT. I don't know. It's one of those. It's Google both. Google both. It's either NGT or NTG, whatever. But, but it's the, the third, third one. The third one. That is like it's the best sound quality. It might run around. I think they run around like six hundred bucks. Trust me, it is worth it if you want to. If you're doing this at least professionally, like sound is the one thing that people will notice. They will notice bad audio before they notice bad visuals. And then yeah. there's some stands involved, tripod or whatever. But it sounds yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it's what I'm thinking. I hear from you is. If you got five grand, you might be able to get a pretty good setup. Oh yeah, not my. You'll you can totally do a good setup. Like, and I know you know five grand is five grand. That's a yeah, lot of money, not, but it's yeah. not. But it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars. This no. is the kind of thing that if somebody wants to give it a go, mm-hmm. they can save for this and yeah. make it and, and, and make it happen. To, you don't like, have to build up everything. You don't have to buy everything at once. Like I yeah built my rig over time. You know so. Just you buy know, the boom mic first. <laughs> yeah, get honestly, you know, get a get a boom mic. If you're shooting with a camera, get an external monitor. Like I'm telling you, external monitors are huge, um, huge benefit, but and physically huge compared well, to you know, compared like, yeah, to the eye hole. Yeah, you don't want to look at you don't want to be looking on a three inch screen, you know. And there oh, are. I was thinking the old school, like uh, oh, or yeah, I mean yeah, like a viewfinder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and like there are there are companies that now make these. Accessories where you can use your iPhone as a monitor. Oh right, of you course. Know, I think that company is called Axoon, like A C C S O O N. I think they make a, a, de- a device and literally it plugs into like your, you know, iPhone, like the the Lightning mm-hmm. port, and then that'll, you know, yeah, it's you don't have to spend a ton on it, but like get get external monitors, build build up your kit, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're... I'm laughing at the idea of somebody uh, just going, I'll just buy one thing at a time. So they buy the microphone, and then like a few months later they buy the lighting, and then a few months later they buy um, the software, and then a few months later they buy like some tripods, and then they run out of money and like have to wait a long time, and they, they don't the cameras. Have a camera. <laughs> Honestly, get the camera first, though, dude. Yeah, yeah, you need a camera. You really need what I'm saying? Get the camera. Yeah, get the camera. So then while you're saving for the other stuff, you can at least play around and yeah, learn stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and like you know. Certainly, you can you can consult with YouTube, but there's a lot of bad advice out there. Um, but you know, just watch enough, and you'll you'll get an idea. Like I, right? The, the The important thing is get equipment that is inspiring to use. I think you know, yeah. Um, like even if it's not the best equipment, one of yeah. one of my first cameras, because for a while I, I I was just work. I only worked in post production, so I did just. Editing and animation. Oh, I should turn this off. Let me turn this off. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Are we done? I don't know, I think. I yeah. just feel like it's it's just gone a long time. Yeah, sure. But we'll yeah, continue. We can, we, can, we can cut. Because you've already, I think you've gone through all the items yeah, to buy. Yeah. Was there any last, like, thing no, to no, buy? No, no, well, so I, I guess if I, if I could end on anything yeah. in terms of, like, gear-wise, um, like, if you can, if you've got friends who have gear that you can test out, yeah, yeah, you know, go for it. But but really, just it, find stuff that's inspiring for you to use. So, like one of my first cameras that I got, you know, for when I started actually getting into shooting myself, because again, I was working in post production pr- pr- exclusively up until about five or six years ago. Mm. Um, and my first <clears throat> camera that I bought just for my own personal use 
was a Fujifilm X-T3, which is not, I mean, it's a great, it shoots really great video, but um, I bought it because it was, it's a fun camera. I love, hmm. and I, and to this day, I still take it with me almost everywhere I go. Like when I go hiking, when I go on vacation, like I always have that camera with me because it's a fun camera. And the reason I like it is because it's got all the knobs and like it's, yeah. it feels like a vintage camera cool. and like it gives me joy to use, right? Oh. Um in that might way, be a good place to start for yeah, somebody. Yeah, start, like, find something that's fun to use. Like, it doesn't matter if you've got, like, the the best, quote-unquote, camera. If you don't enjoy using it, if it's not fun, if it doesn't inspire you, like... It's just going to sit around the house. It's just going to sit around the house, You spent yeah. three like, grand it, for something you don't use. Right, right. So find something that you enjoy the interface. Yeah. It feels good, even if it's not, doesn't have the best specs or whatever. Like, find it, you know do that and then that's good advice yeah and then just start shooting every opportunity you can like right. be, be the annoying person and then go to youtube camera. go to youtube check out guys like uh I, you know if you're just getting started there are a lot of channels that you can look into dslr video shooters a guy that i learned a lot from initially there's another guy called um uh gerald undone who does a lot of great reviews and a lot of good information uh for you know, for vlogging anyway. So mm -hmm. if you're doing that, um, I know any, any of my cinema, cinema friends are probably rolling their eyes at me for mentioning those names because they're YouTubers. But like, yeah, uh, they have a lot of good advice for people who are just getting started. Yeah, just kind of like um, if you're only listening, you don't realize things about things is on YouTube. You go to thingsaboutthings.com slash watch yeah. and then game changer. Now you found a really good thing on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, so, and you can go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things. Thank you.